This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, hello again, Austin Life Church. Uh, my name is Stephen McCaslin. I am the student minister here at Austin Life Church. And I wanted to give you a bit of a background before we go into our sermon on what we've been talking about here as a church, if you've missed out. So the past couple of months, we've been going through a series on the fullness of life. And the reason we've been doing that is because we believe that every person is seeking that. And we believe that the only place that a true overflowing cup of joy can be found is through Jesus. And we want to help everyone come to that. So that's why now we've begun going through different practices of purpose that help us achieve a fullness of life in Christ, ultimately not so that we can just be joyous, but so that we can help grow Christ and his kingdom here on earth. So the past couple weeks, Corey's spoken on the most important of any practice that we can do, and that is being one-on-one present with God. It is so incredible that we have a God who cares enough about us that he'll spend one-on-one time with just one of seven billions of his creation. So I encourage you, if you haven't checked those out, go on our website, look through those sermons and those services where you can see how Christ desires for us to spend one-on-one time with him. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the next one that we as a staff and biblically see as being very important, and that is gathering corporately for worship. Now, before we go too much into that, I want to show you uh, some pictures that uh, some kids have drawn for us. So I sent out a text earlier this week to different staff and asked their kids to draw us a picture of a car. So on that, I want to show you all of the first picture uh, of, of the representation. And as you can see here, we've got some aspects that you can identify as very car-like. You've got a blue scribble of a body, and you've got two very obvious wheels, and then even what appears to be some black exhaust coming out the back. And we've got some other pictures here. We've got uh, a purple car, and you can notice some other features a lot better on this one. You can see windows, doors, door handles, uh, not just a wheel, but the wheel hub itself and the body. Here's a red car that's very much similar as the other one. It's got the same uh, parts of it. Uh, We have a little aqua here, uh, aqua colored car. Once again, it's a very different depiction of a car, (laughs) but you can see some wheels. Looks like you can even see a window, a steering wheel inside. And then finally, we have another drawing of a light blue car here. And as you can see, this car has even a little bit more detail. Not only does it have things like windows, door handles, wheels, wheel hubs, but you can see a fender on the front. And then you can even see headlights as well as taillights. And then even more complex than just a 2D picture, some of the kids created models or used blocks or Legos to build an actual representation of a car there. So we've got uh, some sort of Avengers bike here, which you can see obviously is more detailed than just a 2D drawing. This would actually even roll if you pushed it along a table or a surface and move. We've got a little bike, a little tricycle, I guess you could say here, uh, that has handlebars, uh, even depiction of pedals. 
different things such as that. Uh, we go now here to a very, uh, oh, what's the word for it? A very uh, a vague depiction, an artistic creation of a vehicle. We've got some Play-Doh with nice wheel hubs staped, I believe, throughout it. Um, so that's cool, very creative, I love it. And then finally here we've got a train. So not only is it a car, it's a different mode of transportation. But this is, I would say, that this train is probably our most detailed. And the fact that you can see we've even got an engine department uh, included here. There is a conductor sitting up front of this train helping drive it. It's got two separate parts of the train included, both the uh, powerhouse, I guess you would say, of the train, and then just a cart used for transportation. And then finally here, I think we have the most creative, I would define it. We've got a Lego car with a glass hub for the front. This is very futuristic looking. I believe it even has wings on the sides. This is a flying vehicle. Um, but all very different depictions of modes of transportation. And, you know, if you're sitting watching this here at home, kids, your, uh, your cars were great. They were wonderful. Good job. And if you're at home looking at these, even though they can't hear it, give them a little round of applause uh, for their vehicles uh, and how great they did on them. Now, I want you to think about these different models as we go throughout our sermon today. And keep in mind the ones that were maybe more realistic, the ones that weren't, the ones that could actually move, maybe versus ones that are unable to move. Now, before we get started, I want to read us a quote by a professor of philosophy by the names of K James K.A. Smith. And he is a professor at Calvin University, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And while he's not vitally important um, as a person, what he said addresses greatly what I want us to think about as we go throughout our service this morning. So at um, a THINK conference, he said this, People come to church and have no clue why. They sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, and then go back to their lives without any change. The problem is that they have no understanding as to why they are doing what they're doing. Now, granted, I don't think this, uh, I know that this doesn't apply for all of us. I think in our church specifically, there are a great bit of us that have a strong understanding of why we go to church. But I'd be willing to bet that even out of those people, myself included, there are times where I go to church, I listen to some songs, I hear a sermon, and I go back home and nothing's really changed. And that is so heartbreaking for what Christ has planned and desired for us. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at why it is that we have church services, what we're supposed to do while we're in those, and then finally, how we can know that we're accomplishing the goal that Christ desires for us to have throughout meeting together to worship Him. So first things first we're going to talk about is the why we have church services. And this is what James K. Smith was saying is a lot of people don't understand why it is that we even come to church. So that's why we go home unchanged. So for that, we're going to be 
in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to grab your Bibles or your phone and find those verses, will be in verses 15 and 16. And see, in Ephesians 4, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus and encouraging them and challenging them to have unity together to be able to grow in their faith. And starting in verse 15, uh, he tells them this. He says, rather, once again, this rather comes from beforehand. He was saying that the church was like a bunch of children lost at sea in big waves. They can't control where they're going and nothing productive is happening because they're staying separate and they're working alone. But he says, rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there are a lot of things said in just these two little verses here, but the first thing I want us to catch is in verse 15 when it says that we are to grow up into Him, into Christ. So when we come together, the reason why we are doing that is so that we can grow into more Christ-likeness. Now, that sounds great, but this verse tells us more practically what that actually means. It says that we are to join together as a body. Now see, the analogy of using a body for the church is found all throughout Scripture. Another instance of that is in Romans 12, where in verses 4 through 5 it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So what Paul is telling Ephesus here is not only do you need to come together, but there's a purpose for that. See, we each have our own gifts and abilities. And if you stay separate and maybe say, you say, well, I can, I can spend time one-on-one with God. And I can grow in my relationship enough through that. And I can sing songs. I can worship in my home, maybe with my family. But I don't need to worry about other people because I have a personal, I have a private faith, not really one that works well with others. What Paul's getting at here, as well as in Romans, is we all have different abilities and different gifts. God has made us like different members of the body. And we need to join together and work. And the reason that is, further down, as you see in verse uh, 16, is so that we can build each other up in love. Now, something that's always fascinated me are muscle spasms. And sometimes I get these not in uh, great effect, but I'll notice like my arm, say my bicep, will just begin kind of twitching. My brain's not telling it to do that. It's just acting for some reason. And I know there's a scientific reason. I'm not smart enough to know that. I know we have plenty of medical people here in our church uh, that you can ask. So maybe uh, seek out uh, Hampton, uh, Brandy, uh, Mark, or maybe some of these people could help you out to know why those things happen. I'm not smart enough to do that. (laughs) But it's always fascinating to me that my brain's not telling my body to do something, or at least I'm not doing that but it's acting in some way anyway. And although if I'm trying to just go on a walk, my bicep like flexing and throbbing, that's not really going to do much. I'll still be able to walk just fine. 
But if I'm trying to handwrite an essay that's timed for a class and my arm is twitching, it's going to be more difficult to complete the task that I am trying to achieve. And see, that right there is why Paul is saying we have to come together. You can't just be alone. Because if, if, if in one church, say for Austin Life's sake, although this applies to the global church, if we have people who are great at serving and hospitality, they're people who just connect well with random people they've never met. But for some reason, those people that are extroverts and connect with people go say, well, I can, I can worship God from home. I don't really have to have a church. I can, I can have a private faith. Then we're left with a church that's not hospitable enough. And that goes with every regard. So that's what Paul's telling Ephesus here. He said, we have to come together as a body joined. And then to end it here, he says to build each other up in love. And what he's talking about is back into the head that is Christ. So not only do we come together so that we can accomplish and be a hospitable, a loving, a serving, a musically gifted, a prophesying, whatever it is, church, we are ultimately coming together so that we can build up Christ and his kingdom. It's not just about us. We don't go to church so that we can gain something, but we go to church so that we can come together as the body to be able to spread and grow the kingdom of Christ and more specifically Christ himself. So that answers a little bit as to why we have church. What's the purpose of it? It's so that we can build each other up in love and spread the kingdom and build up Christ himself. Now that all sounds good, but maybe that means that we can just come together and do whatever we want, but that's not the case. So there's a couple things, and there's plenty that scripture shows us about what we're supposed to do when we come together as a body of Christ. But there's a handful here that I felt uh, most important when going through Scripture for us to be able to see and go through in our limited time here with each other today. The first thing is that we must come together. Yes, we talked about that as we see before in Ephesians 4, but I also want us to look that that's found other ways throughout Scripture, more times. In Hebrews 10 Verses 24 through 25, if you want to flip there that way, you can read along with me. It talks about this, more about the importance of coming together. Now see, the beginning of chapter 10 talks about how we have a confidence to be able to enter the holiest place and be with God. Now see, that wasn't always the case. Before Christ, only the highest of high priests could enter in and be in the presence of God called the Holies of Holies once a year. And even then, it took a, a, a very rigorous cleansing process for him to be able to enter into the presence of God. But see, whenever Christ resurrected from the dead, it said that the veil separating us from that holy place where God resided was torn from top to bottom. And that was signifying that God himself made it possible for us all to be able to commune with him. There was a confidence in that. And that's how that's, that section starts off. And then 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Sounds a lot like Ephesians. 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I want to say as a church, me being new to this, it's been wonderful seeing the intentional ways in which we desire to not neglect meeting in person, not to to be able to avoid having this private faith where we just live our own way, doing our own thing and reading scripture and just staying alone. And man, it's been so cool to see the growth of things such as our community groups and our discipleship groups. If you don't know what those are, if you're new, uh, once a week we come together a group between five to maybe 12, 15 or so, and we dive through scripture and offer up prayer requests and walk through life together. And it's been so great seeing our church growing in that, those numbers of new members and people who've uh, maybe been attending for a while saying, I want to step in and be a part of those. And then we also do discipleship groups. And these are much smaller between you and one, two, maybe three other individuals where you get down to the nitty gritty of life. Scripture tells us that sin thrives in darkness. And discipleship groups are our attempt to do everything we can to not let darkness reside within our lives, but instead shine light to people who are really close to us and to be able to share, uh, to share our life, to walk through both the biggest of joys and the hardest of struggles. And man, our church has done such a great job as, as commanded here in Hebrews to come together and to not neglect being alone. But also do want to speak in a moment to what our Sunday morning services are. There's a long list of reasons why I think historically the entirety of uh, church, specifically here in the Western world, has become relaxed to the idea of meeting Sunday morning church. For some people, it's apathy, uh, saying, well, you know, I've had a busy week and uh, maybe I'll tune in. I'll watch the service online, like on Wednesday, I think Wednesday is going to be a free day. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch the Facebook video and skim through the important parts on Wednesday uh, just because I'm busy and, and I don't really have the time. Maybe it's apathy because of busyness. Maybe it's apathy because of importance of other things that we've placed in our lives. Maybe it's realizing that Corey's uh, notoriously giving a long sermon, kickoffs at 11.45, uh, he's already, you know, he's already 35 minutes into the sermon. We're going to sneak out and not take communion and not worship together because, because we've got to make it in time for kickoff. Maybe it's apathy towards the importance of it for that reason. Um, I myself love hunting. I know some great Christ-following, close, good friends of mine that come hunting season. They say, man, it's, it's a busy work week. The deer are really moving in the morning this year. Um, I can't just hunt once a week on Saturday. So like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to hunt on Sunday as well. And maybe, maybe by the time, if I shoot something, if I'm done skinning and cleaning and processing the meat, I'll be able to tune in in the evening and skim through, once again, the important parts of the service. Um, and that's evident everywhere, and it's also seen here in our own church. So this isn't me an attempt to, to dog on you or to point fingers, but rather to do what we're going to go over here in a second, another important part in monishing, which is urging honestly eagerly to correct and point us towards Christ. But I want to I do that. I want to urge you to seek out the desires of your heart. 
Because Christ calls us here to be able to regularly meet together so that we can build up one another and further the kingdom. And I want to challenge you, for those weeks that you're staying home, whether it be for genuine, uh, understood uh, reasons, maybe for the family emergency or something, or if it's something like uh, maybe more apathy-driven busyness, in that week, are you joining together with believers as much as you can to be able to further the kingdom of Christ and build one another up? And if that's not happening, I urge you, to be able to do some self-reflection and seek God's will for you in that meeting. So the first thing that God tells us to do is to come together, to join regularly. The next thing, and I won't spend much time on this one, is to have leaders. And you may think, well, well that's obvious. Like there's going to be like pastors or maybe a worship leader or maybe a prayer group leader or someone who is leading the reading of scripture. That wasn't always the case in church history. See, in 1 Corinthians verses, or chapter 14, 14 verse 26, uh, he's talking to the church in Corinth. And see, they were having an issue of everybody was just prophesying when they felt led. Everybody was reading a text when they felt led. Everyone was teaching. Everyone was admonishing. And it was out of control. So he has to tell the church in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has their own hymn, their own lesson, their own revelation, their own tongues, their own interpretation. Instead, let all things be done for building up. So not only do we need to come together, but we need to have a leader. That way there's not chaos. And that doesn't mean that it always has to be the same leader every week or there has to be one. But throughout the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, grab two or three people to lead you in song. Grab two or three people to speak in tongues and two or three people to interpret those things. But if you're just out of control and there's utter chaos, then you're not able to build one another up. So we're to come together and we're to have leaders. The next thing we're to do is to prepare our hearts, which is what we did at the beginning of the service. We're to put to death our sins and the things that separate us from God, and we're to put on the things of Christ, which ultimately all comes together as love. So before we do any of the other things, once we're together and once we have leaders, we in our own hearts have to put off sin and put on love. Next thing is the action. And this is from the same scripture. So if you want to go to Colossians 3, verses 5 through 15, is where we are urged to put to death our sin and to put on Christ, most of all love. But verses 16 through 17, immediately following that, gives a bit of insight into the what we're supposed to do, the things that we're uh, supposed to act upon while we're together. We know to join together. We know to have leaders. And we know to make our heart right with God. But what are we supposed to do? So starting in verse 16, reading through verse 17, the word tells us this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The first thing that's mentioned here is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, 
Last week, we actually just went over this when Corey was talking about spending time with God through being in his word. So if you're curious for more information about this, I encourage you, go on our website, go back and relook at that service. But I'm going to quickly go through some different steps that he gave us in order to make sure that we're truly dwelling in the word. The first was to make a schedule and give time to God. So we as planners, right, we as as ministers, when we're planning our services, we need to be intentional that we are giving time in that schedule and that order of service to say we are going to dwell in the word here. We're not just going to rush through in singing or rush through in reading or rush through in teaching, but we're going to spend some time to really dwell. We're going to work on removing all distractions away from our mind. Then we'll focus our heart on God. So once our, once our heart and mind are void of distractions, we're going to fill that up with God. Then we will take the scripture and we will read it. And then we will meditate on it. And see what meditating is, once again, check out for more description our sermon last week. But what meditating is, is that's really dialoguing with it. Saying, okay, well, wow, you're writing to the church uh, in Corinth. What, what does that mean? Like, So is this applicable to just them? What was the church going through during this time? What was Paul going through during this time? Where is is he in prison right now? Is he in in Rome? Is he ministering? Where is he in his life where he's writing this letter? What are the people going through? What are the words he's saying? Who is he speaking to? Really dialoguing with the word and meditating on what that scripture means and then reflecting upon it, following, understanding where it is. And the sixth, the next thing was to pray, talk to God. Once you've heard him speaking to you, you then speak to him and then spend some time in silence to be able to hear back from him. And then finally, we talked about refocusing prayers throughout the day. So when we're meditating on scripture, maybe that refocusing prayer is reading that scripture again in the morning and the midday and then in the evening and praying to God, refocusing your mind on what he has to show you through that. So at the beginning of verse 16, we're told to dwell in the Word. And that's why at the beginning of our service, whenever we talked through the preparation of putting to death our sin and putting on Christ, I encouraged and we gave some time for you to read through that scripture, for you to be able to talk with God and seek out His will in your life through that. So that's the first thing that uh, verse 16 tells us to do is to dwell in the Word. Next, we are to teach, which is what's happening now. And the reason the importance of this kind of has to do with um, the issue that they were having uh, in 1 Corinthians with no leadership, is there were a bunch of people talking and trying to teach, and there was no direction. So the we're to spend time meditating and reflecting and dwelling in the Word, there also needs to be someone or a group of people who are helping teach and guide us through the practicality of what that Word has to show us, just as mentioned in 1 Corinthians. So we're to help have someone to teach, to be able to to understand how to apply these scriptures into our lives and about how we are supposed to follow Christ based upon what these scriptures tell us. The next thing in this list is to admonish. This is the one that a lot of people have difficulty with just in their own relations. And once again, this has a long list of reasons. Um, but I think what a lot of it comes down to is, is our, 
our struggles with feeling accepted or worrying about ruining relationships. See, what admonishing is, is it is honestly urging to correct someone and their behavior. And that's not fun. Like, conflict is not enjoyable for us as people. We tend to usually be a people of non-conflict, right? Even people we have conflict with, we might talk to a friend, oh, I'm so mad at so-and-so for this, but when so-and-so walks to the door, we're like, hey, how's it going? Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've seen you. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. Instead of being open and honest with them, instead of admonishing them, saying, hey, we're having a hard time going through this. Let's, let's flush through this issue. So this is something that, as a whole, I would say people have a hard time doing this in our relations. And it's difficult doing this as leadership of a church as well, because we don't want people to think that we're just nagging or harping on them. But just as we talked about with meeting in person and being intentional with that, I hope you hear that not as me trying to put down or me trying to be hateful towards you, but instead it's love. And when we come together, once we set our hearts away from sin and towards Christ, most importantly, love, that love is going to include things like correction. It's going to include things where it's saying, hey, maybe we as a church need to take Sunday mornings a little bit more seriously. Or maybe it's saying, hey, we as a church, we've noticed from talking with members that we're not spending enough time one-on-one with God. So admonishing is being able to call out and love and correct urgently places where we might be falling short. But not only is admonishing just calling out or urging towards correct behavior out of bad behavior, but it's also saying like, hey, here's how we can together walk through and out of this sin or this negligence towards honestly growing in our relationship with Christ. So that next thing, right following teaching is admonishing. So we've dwelled in the word. I guess if we go back first, we've met, we've gathered together. We've got some leaders. We have turned our heart towards Christ fully in love. Then we've dwelled in the word. We've taught and we've admonished, honestly, urgently corrected. The next thing is singing. And this is something, I am naturally a person of music. Like, some of my favorite hobbies are A, going to concerts, or B, playing an instrument. Or C, just listening to music. Uh, I'm not much of a podcast guy. It's a very particular day where on my commute, I want to listen to people talk. Like, even if the, the, the topic is interesting, I'm going to get bored real quick because whenever I'm driving, I want to jam out to some tunes. And naturally, that's the way as humans are, Right? Even if we don't feel comfortable in a group setting singing out loud to God for whatever reason, I'd almost guarantee when you get in your car, whether you're listening to Hillsong, to Ariana Grande, or to uh, Chris Stapleton, like whatever your genre of music is, or Slipknot, I don't know if you're listening to Screamo music, like whatever that genre is, I'm going to guess that you're going to sing and bob your head and move to it. And that's because music, whatever it is that it's connecting to why ever it's connecting, not whatever, it's connecting to our soul. It's taking our emotions and displaying them in a way that is exciting. And that's why Paul specifically, but scripture calls us 
to join and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because it's allowing our heart to be poured out to God. See, this week we're following the week of Thanksgiving, right? And in Thanksgiving, we're coming together and we're eating a meal and sharing to be thankful for what it is that life has given us. And ultimately, that's what singing to God is. It's joyfully being thankful for what he's done for us and sharing our emotion, our passion back with him about that. So we're called to sing. And then the final thing isn't necessarily an action, but it comes off of that. It says to do all of these things in word or in deed in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the last thing we're called to do isn't an action such as dwelling in the word or reading scripture, but it's during all of those things being thankful, right? And man, when you're thankful, any issues you might have with these lists of things, they go away. If you're thankful for God, then missing the game or being a little bit more stressed with your assignments, or maybe if you're like me, just doing your assignments on time so you don't have to worry about them on Sunday, those things go away. Because if you're thankful for God, you're going to be so grateful that you can come together. You're going to do anything you can to make that happen. If you're thankful for God, then you're going to be grateful for leaders. Even if that is, uh, you know, watching a sermon online and listening to me, or if that's listening to Corey uh, giving uh, a sermon, you're going to be thankful and you're going to desire to hear for more and more. If that sermon goes for three hours, you're going to be so grateful that God is teaching you something through his word. When you're dwelling in the word, instead of sitting silently and reflecting and thinking about uh, the assignments that you have due through the week or the projects that you have for work, you're going to be able to really reflect upon his word a lot better. Once again, as you're listening to teaching, man, you're going to be, if you're thankful, you're going to be so more tuned in to what God has to tell you throughout the service. When you're hearing correction, or maybe you're correcting others and you're thankful for what Christ's salvation has given you, you're going to understand that it's not uh, harping on you or someone being rude or putting you down, but instead like, wow, this person loves me enough to desire that I grow fully in my relationship with Christ. And you're going to be thankful for that moment. And you sing, you're going to be joyous and thankful, and you're going to actually give out that expression of gratitude and love towards God. So we're talking about what we're supposed to do. Scripture does tell us what we're supposed to do. And ultimately, it's being thankful to God. And when we do all of these things, we will truly do it with a heart that's for Him. I want to bring back the cars uh, that we showed beforehand, both the pictures, uh, the clay models, and the uh, Lego models. Now, see, these are all different representations of a vehicle, right? Like, you could look at that and you could say, oh, that's a car. But in reality, a drawing of a car cannot accomplish the task that a car is built for, right? Although this car looks really good, it's got all the parts, it's got wheels, tire hubs, windows, door handles, uh, a front bumper, it's got uh, headlights and taillights. I cannot get in that car and make my way to work. 
I cannot get in that car and take my kids to school. See, it can't accomplish the task at hand. Even more so, right, if we take one of these Lego models. We say, oh, these wheels actually roll. They actually work. But still then, it won't accomplish the task. And the reason I brought this up is without thankfulness, man, we might be able to have singing. We might be able to have teaching. We might be meeting together. We might be admonishing one another. We might be meditating on his word. But we may not be accomplishing the task that a service is built to achieve. Right? Just because we might be reflecting the idea of what a car is, we may not be actually accomplishing the task. Even more so, let's say I've got my truck. Ironically so, as I'm recording this service, my truck is in the shop because I neglected to address the warning signs of check engine, check engine, check engine. And over time, that check engine became a, you need to take your car to the shop because it's not working anymore. And man, if we as a church, if we neglect to be thankful, or if we leave out any of these aspects as we're gathering on Sunday mornings or in community groups, if we're not doing these things or we're not thankful for that, then yeah, we might have a car, but that car may not be able to go anywhere. See, if I take the Lego wheels from this car and I put them on my truck, I might, I might be able to get in, I might be able to get a group of people in, say my family, and sit down in this vehicle. Yeah, I can start the engine, I can rev it up, but as soon as I try to go anywhere, I'm going to be left at a standstill. And guys, although this service might just seem like, okay, yeah, we get it. We're right now, like, we're experiencing this. Although it is a bit ironic uh, that we're talking about church services in our first week, that's online. Um, and there, there's a bit of irony in that. But in reality, this is coming together. This is doing all of the things that Christ has called us to do. But if we're doing that, and we're missing any of these parts, or we're not being thankful, then we're like, uh, we're like my truck with Lego wheels on it. We might have an engine rev, but we are not going to be able to lift one another up in truth or grow the kingdom of Christ as he is our head. It's so vital that we, when we come together, we do these things. Right? So we've, we've talked about why we do what we do, which is to build one another up and ultimately spread the kingdom of Christ and build him up. Talk about what different things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come together to have leaders. We're supposed to prepare our hearts, dwell in the word, teach, admonish, sing, and then once again, all of those things doing while thankful. But I want to take a minute to look into how we're supposed to do those things. Right? We know we're supposed to do it thankful, but what does that exactly mean? And I want to urge us in this. How you worship God matters. See, when I was a teenager, there was, there was a phrase going around that was really popular that was saying like, well, God doesn't care about how I worship. He just cares that I do it. And although there was truth into the, the point that we were trying to make with this, right? Like that was right whenever people like Lecrae uh, and Tadashi and KJ52 were becoming popular. And what we were saying was, it doesn't matter that we're like worshiping to rap music. We can do that. 
doesn't just have to be uh, a choir or have to be contemporary, but no, like rap music can be worship. The point we were making had some validity, but the phrase we were saying really was wrong. And for time's sake, uh, if you want to read through this, go through uh, in Genesis 4. But I want to talk through what's happening. See, here we have um, Cain and Abel offering up worship to God. And see, Cain brings up uh, a sacrifice, and Abel brings up a sacrifice. But we see in Genesis 4, 3, that one of these offerings of worship was not accepted by God. And it wasn't because it wasn't an animal and instead it was a bunch of fruits and crops. But what that has to come down to is the heart of our offering. Coming to God with thanksgiving and truly giving him what we have. And this story shows us that simply offering up worship is not good enough. But there has to be some body, some power to our worship. So how can we make sure that we're doing that right? The last scripture we're going to look at today is found in John 4. And in this story, Jesus is ministering to an outcast woman who's out of well. See, she's there in the middle of the day. She's had lots of different husbands, which um, Jesus uh, kind of reveals that he has that knowledge to her later on. And she's an outcast. And what God, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to offer up this fullness of life, right? He's saying, I can give you water, which you will never thirst again. And slowly this woman begins to realize, okay, this guy must be a prophet. Specifically through saying, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. So she offers up this logical question to Jesus, right? And what she's saying is, you know, our ancestors say that we should worship here on the hill, but um, other, others say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Where's the true place to worship? Now she might be trying to prove a point um, of, okay, well, who's the real worshipers of God here? But ultimately what she's doing is she's looking for truth. She's saying, how do I worship God? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And in verse 19 through 24, Jesus responds to this. So, so in verse 21, he says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. True worship isn't in a place. True worship isn't at 5925 Dillard Circle at Mother's Milk Bank. True worship isn't at Austin Stone Church. True worship isn't at Austin Ridge Church. True worship isn't at any location of a building that you might attend to worship God. See, true worship is found in something so much more. It's found in spirit and in truth. And, and what does that exactly does that mean? See, this morning, everyone, what that comes down to is worshiping God in spirit and truth comes back to our whole understanding of why we worship. Worshiping God isn't just singing, isn't just admonishing, isn't just teaching. But we need 
to come together to build one another up for the purpose of exalting Christ, our King, and furthering His kingdom. So this morning, man, we're talking about worship gatherings, and that seems a little bit silly since we're in one. But I hope that looking through Scripture, we've been able to understand why it is that we worship, what we're supposed to do during our worship, and then how that's supposed to impact us, how that's supposed to change us. So man, from today on out, I encourage us, as we come together, one, uh, challenge us as a leadership. Make sure that we're doing these things. Admonish us if there's any need. I had a conversation with one of our members just this past Sunday where he came to me and he was like, hey, I've talked to everyone this includes, but I feel like we as a church should be doing this more. And in a moment, it had been easier for me to take that as insulting towards our planning or anything. But I looked at him and I was like, man, thank you so much for desiring that we grow and lift one another up and ex- ultimately exalt God and love and grow his kingdom. So as we're together, man, I challenge you, admonish us as leadership, admonish one another as members or as attendees. But also today in this moment, let's build one another up. After this service, man, maybe text some people that you know from our church. And if you don't know anybody, we have a connect card online, fill that out because then you'll be getting uh, a text or call here from one of us staff soon so that we can build one another up. Seek that actively today. As we come out of a season of thanksgiving, be thankful for what God has given us, specifically here in this church. Help us grow up with one another and exalt God. Take action to that. Call someone up, maybe in your community group, your discipleship this week, group this week. Talk about those things. Grow together as we leave this uh, worship service here. I want to pray us out as we, as we head into a time of worship reflecting upon that. Father, we are thankful for your love, thankful for your sacrifice. God, that although we did not deserve a relationship with you based upon our sin and your perfection, God, that you came down and you know our needs. So God, thank you for that. Thankful. Thank you so much for your grace and your compassion. God, thank you for this church. And I pray that as we are here gathered virtually, God, I pray that you encourage us to reach out to one another, to build one another up so that we can ultimately fulfill your your final command, Jesus, before you ascend it into heaven and grow your kingdom, make disciples, baptize people in your name. God, I pray that you urge us into that fullness of life where we are thankful. We are passionately meeting together frequently, consistently to lift one another up and further your kingdom. Praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.